This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning can be found in the book of Luke, chapter 9, starting in verse 23. Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words Of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Good morning. Thanks, Dom. If you have your Bibles, if you'd have them open there to Luke chapter 9 as we continue looking at the discipleship that Jesus gives to his followers. And just before we jump in, let's take a moment and just pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you, Lord, that we can come and pray and be heard. We know, Lord, that's not because we have been really good this week or we've done enough good things that now we get to be heard. It's because of Jesus, because he is perfect and we're in him. And so, Lord, because of that, we know that we're accepted And we know that our prayers are heard, received. And Lord, I just thank you to know that, that we can come boldly to your throne and we can ask and know that you are always doing what is best for us, Lord. I pray that, Lord, our eyes would be fixed upon you this morning. I know, Lord, that we come into this place and we um, carry a a certain maybe... uh, just familiarity with things. We get comfortable with the routines and we forget, Lord, that we're here on purpose to worship you. And so, God, in our hearts this morning, help us to focus on that. Help our eyes to be fixed upon you. Help us to see you through your word. Help us to believe that your word is true. Help us, Lord, to understand that everything the Bible says about who we are is true and everything it says about Christ is true. Strengthen our faith where it's weak. Encourage us to have hope for what we look forward to, the day of Christ's return. And Lord, I do pray that you would strengthen us, that we would be light and salt in a world that so desperately needs to know about Jesus. Lord, that's why we're here, to be your ambassadors. So God, help us to be busy at work proclaiming the goodness of Christ. Lord, we pray for those in our congregation that struggle We know that there are many that are dealing with medical concerns. There are many that are dealing with physical ailments, Lord. There are some that are dealing with emotional and even spiritual concerns, Lord. We pray that you would minister to every need. Help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet. Help us to use our mouths to encourage and to pray for one another. Help us to be mindful, Lord, of the responsibility we have as the body of Christ to seek your glory and to minister to your people. God, we pray that we would hear you this morning. And as we pray each and every week, Lord, we pray that we would be changed. 
We wouldn't leave here the same people that we were when we walked in, but that we would be conformed more and more into the image of Christ, our beloved Savior and King. We pray this believing you will do even better than we know how to ask. Pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You guys enjoy the extra hour of sleep? Amen? I did. It's enjoyable to actually be able to stay there and realize you're awake and yet you don't have to get out of bed yet. Uh, there's something uh, just to know, hey, I got a little extra time this morning, but somehow that time always seems to get away from me. I mismanage it or something. And somehow I'm, I find myself rushing to get here. In the course of getting here and thinking about the sermon and, and what I would be preaching this morning, I remembered that what we're really talking about this morning is about the importance of what it is to be a disciple, specifically what it means to cost of discipleship. As I was thinking about that cost of discipleship, I was thinking about athletes. I was thinking about the commitment that an athlete makes for their whole life, their, their diet regimen, their exercise program, the pain of, of how they have to keep going to the trainer, uh, trainer's room just to get ice and, and get healing over their body. And then they go back out there and they struggle in yet another competition. And this is their life. It's the cost of being a disciple who's an athlete. Or how about a scholar, one who sacrifices by researching? And they give their time to reading and to listening, to thinking, to writing, and then rewriting. And that's their whole life. Researching, reading, listening, thinking, writing, rewriting. There's a, there's a cost to being a scholar, just as there's a cost to being an athlete. Or how about a musician? Key word I think about as a musician would be practice, 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 and practice some more. There's a, there's a, a commitment to be any of these things. There's a cost to be faithful in any of these categories. Yet the truth of the matter is, when it comes to being a Christian, many today prefer easy believism. Let me say that title again, easy believism. It's the idea that if I just say a few magic words, if I bow my head and just say a, a quick prayer, then you know what? I now get to lead a life of comfort. It's the idea that everything's going to be perfect. We don't really say that, but there's a sense in which we believe that because we begin to pursue our own goals, our own purposes. And when they get bent out of shape, we, we begin to get angry. Like, why are things not going as I planned? Could it be that we have sucked ourselves into this idea that easy believism is what Christianity really is all about? Friends, I, I challenge you to think through that for a moment. I want to name drop for you. There's a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one who was committed to discipleship, the discipleship of others. He actually lived in community with others in a way that he gave his life to pour into others and have others being poured in to him. In a book that he wrote called The Cost of Discipleship, he identified the problem with most Christianity. The term he used was cheap grace. Cheap grace. This is what he said. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. A cheap grace is baptism 
without church discipline. A cheap grace is communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Friends, what costs God much cannot be cheap for us. Cheap grace. As we sit in the comfort of a, uh, of a room that is, is well-warm and, and comfortable seating, and we think about our walk with Christ, we, we think about the fact that we could easily fall into easy believism or cheap grace here in the States. We're not really persecuted severely for our faith. I say severely because there is a sense of persecution to be a believer today. You're going against the mainstream But it's not what others face in persecuted countries, whereby declaring their faith, they actually may die. How easy it is for us to fall into easy believism. How easy it is for us to fall into cheap grace. Friends, I would draw your attention to this truth that easy believism is not what the Bible teaches. Cheap grace is not what the Bible says, nor is it whatever Jesus ever taught. If you look at our text in verse 21, this is the words of Jesus. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's nothing cheap. There's nothing easy in those words. Yet why is it that we get confused in our understanding of Christianity? Why is it that we we can simplify it simply to, I said a sinner's prayer when I was five years old, and I'm good. Friends, I'm not attacking the fact that salvation is by faith alone. Absolutely it is. Salvation is a gift from God. We cannot work to make ourselves saved. It is what Christ has done. Absolutely. What I'm challenging is, The idea that those who are truly affected in faith to that truth that Jesus saved them are not left unchanged. They don't simply say, thanks Jesus for saving me, now I'm going to go live my life my way. That's not what we see in Scripture. If that's what you've been doing, you've been believing in cheap grace. You've been sucking up the air of easy believism. And that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Jesus commanded for his disciples. Friends, I draw your attention to chapter 9 as a whole, and we see Jesus very clearly identifying who he was to the masses through his power. So much so that he asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And he gets personal, he says, who do you say that I am? To which they respond, The Christ, the Christ of God. And Jesus is very, very happy with their answer, right? He rebukes them. We talked about that last week. He told them not to tell anyone because they fully didn't understand what it meant to be a disciple. How many, that's us. Where sometimes it's like God just has to say to us, just shut your mouth. Don't speak. So much of our lives have to be reconfigured because we're living in easy believism and cheap grace rather than true discipleship as Jesus describes. 
See, following Peter's confession and Jesus' explanation of the fact that the Son of Man, the victor of the world, would actually have to die, after hearing Peter's confession, Jesus tells the cost, the cost for him, for that salvation, that the Son of Man must suffer both rejection and death. Friends, that's the core of Christianity. In just a little while, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is a a remembrance of what Jesus has done. It's a connection to what Christ has won for us through his death, his body being given, his blood being spilt. Do you ever think about what we're doing when we commemorate the Lord's Supper? We're remembering his death, the suffering of Jesus, the cost. It's anything but cheap. It's anything but easy. And as Jesus is talking to the disciples, he's telling them, yes, the Son of Man must suffer many things, rejection and death. And now he tells them, looking at them and all who were gathered there, so must all who would be his disciples. So must all who would be his disciples. They must suffer. It's hard. It's difficult commentator by Philip Ryken, I think, says it well. He says, this is what it means to confess Jesus as the Christ. It means much more than simply knowing who Jesus is or simply knowing what Jesus came to do. It means that his life and all of his suffering become the pattern of our life. Friends, is that true for you? Has the example of Jesus' suffering and death and his willingness to be rejected by the masses for you become the pattern of the way in which you live your life? A willingness to endure hardship, suffering, rejection? Is that the pattern that you now follow? Notice the three phrases that Jesus used in describing the cost of discipleship. The first is the word deny. Deny is the very first word he uses to describe biblical discipleship. And what does deny mean? But to say no to oneself. That's the biggest problem in America. In American Christianity is to say no to myself. We build churches and and worship services all around people's comfort. When Jesus says the disciple is one who first and foremost must say no to themselves. How backwards we got it here. In the states where we truly think we're persecuted because everybody doesn't just naturally agree with us. We prefer comfort over responsibility. And Jesus makes it so clear that the cost of discipleship is found first and foremost in the word deny. To say no. I have a hard time saying no to myself. Especially when there's bumpy cake. (laughs) You have a hard time saying no to yourself too. We see it in our lives. The undisciplined nature of who we are as Americans. We want it easy. We want it comfortable. We want it convenient. 
But that's not what Jesus said discipleship is about. The very first foundational principle to discipleship is to deny, to say no to oneself. It means to reject, to to simply reject what pleases ourselves and to pursue what pleases God. Let me say that again. To deny means simply to reject what pleases ourselves and to pursue what pleases God. When's the last time we really combed through the scriptures to see what God would have us do with our money? When's the last time we really wrestled with scripture to see with how God would have us respond to our neighbors or how he'd have us use our gifts? See, at the very core of being a disciple, it's about character. It's about self-denial. It's about putting Christ first. Self-denial is the core of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus denied himself. Jesus came and took on human flesh. Jesus dwelt amongst us in a broken, sin-filled world. Why? So that he could die for sinners. That's the gospel. We preach it every Sunday. We hear it. But do we believe it? And if it's true that Jesus did that for us, how should we respond? But to deny, to reject what simply pleases ourselves and to pursue what pleases God. But that's just one of them. Jesus goes on, the cost of discipleship isn't just simply to deny. It's about taking up your cross. It's about actually picking up your cross. This is an attitude of self-denial. This is the willingness to do the work, to be committed. It's interesting here is he specifically mentions the cross. And Jesus, in only the way Jesus can, picks something that they all fully understand. They had been under Roman occupation for some time. They understood the cross. They had seen crucifixion after crucifixion after crucifixion. They saw when the soldiers would gather and they would place that cross beam upon the person who was about to be crucified. They saw that with their own eyes again and again and again. They knew what it was when he said, pick up your own cross. What does that mean? The person needs to be willing to die. For that's what happened under Roman rule. That was the illustration they saw time and time and time again. Jesus' crucifixion wasn't the first and only crucifixion of the Romans. This was a way of life. And Jesus uses it to capture what discipleship really is about. It's an attitude of self-denial, the willingness to work and to pick up and to carry and to move on. each disciple was to carry the specific cross that they've been given. One of the people that touches me most in the sense of what I see they struggle with is a woman by the name of Johnny Erickson Tata. She's a quadriplegic. She was paralyzed from the neck down. And yet I've read her books, I've heard her testimony, and never have you heard her curse God. 
She understood that that was the cross that she has been given to bear. And every day she chooses willingly to walk, spiritually speaking, carrying that cross. Glorifying her Savior all along the way. How can we do any different? Friends, somebody always has it worse than us. Whatever our conflict, whatever our struggle, whatever our battle, someone out there has it worse than us, which forces us to say, Lord, help me to be thankful. Lord, give me the strength to do what I need to do. Help me to have the true attitude of self-denial I need to have, that I would be about your glory and not my own. That brings us to the third phrase Jesus used. He didn't just say simply deny or take up the cross. He said, follow me. After all, isn't that what Jesus did? He denied himself and Jesus literally took up the cross for us. It was our cross. And yet what is Jesus' command of his disciples? That they would follow him. This literally means walking the same path as Jesus but for many of us, we assume Jesus walked it. I don't have to suffer. Easy believism. And Jesus paid for it all. Therefore, I should just experience all the bounty and all the, all the good stuff and all the fluff. That's cheap grace. Listen to what John writes in 1 John 2.6. He says, whoever claims to have life in Christ must walk as Jesus did. Whoever claims to have life in Christ must walk as Jesus did. Friends, Jesus gave himself completely, and so should we. It's about a life of self-denial and daily taking up our cross. So I ask you, church, do these phrases capture the type of life you're leading are you leading a life of self-denial? Are you leading a life of taking up your cross daily? Are you leading a life of following in the footsteps of Jesus? That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. But Jesus is pretty spectacular in this text. Because Jesus is not just some type of tyrant who makes a demand of obedience and says, just do it. Jesus actually tells us why. He goes through and he tells us the benefits or the blessings of doing it. In the next portion of our text, moving from 24 on down, we begin to see these blessings, and they all begin with the three-letter word, for. Notice the first. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake We'll save it. What a paradox. To gain, we need to lose. Well, what Jesus begins to do here is he makes a double play on the idea of life, the natural life versus the spiritual life. He begins to say, you need to have a right perspective. You need to understand that your math isn't adding up, but mine does. To truly gain, you need to lose. What Jesus offers here is an idea of ambition, Church, what's your ambition? What do you seek? Why do you do what you do? 
for most of us, if we're honest, it's out of comfort. It's out of convenience. That's why I always want the newest and latest things that they produce, because it makes my life easier, or so they say. I'm in the hot pursuit of convenience and and comfortableness. My ambition is me. When Jesus is saying, no, die to self. Let your ambition be me. That's what Jesus is calling us to. See, to protect oneself is to miss the point. If you're trying to get through life unscathed, that nobody therefore is in conflict with you, that you never have to be persecuted for your faith, faith, you're missing the point. The reason he has saved us is so that we can be found in him. So that we can be identified in Jesus. And guess what they did with him? They rejected him. They killed him. They hated him. That's exactly what they'll do with his followers. But why is it that we, we don't want any part of that? It's because we believe the lie of easy believism and cheap grace. A true believer of Christ is one who's spiritually ready to serve Christ no matter what. We're not out protecting ourselves. Our goal is to protect the name of Christ. That's why missionaries put their selves in harm's way. We look at them and we think, man, that's a special person. And they are special. They're willing to go anywhere in the world God sends them. But guess what? So should we. That should be the norm. They were willing to be used by God wherever we are for his name, not to be comfortable. I had to check myself as a parent because I used to pray, oh God, just don't let anything bad happen to my kids. Don't get me wrong, I don't want anything bad to happen to them, but I had to check my heart. Do I really want them to be men and women of character? God, help them to love you more than they love the things of this world. I pray that prayer every day for my kids. And I pray it for our church. That we would literally love Christ more than we love the world. More than we love the comforts of the world. The protection of the world. The acceptance of the world. See, as a disciple of Christ, we're to live for a higher aim than simply this natural life we now live. That's what Jesus means. And he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's just one of the benefits. Jesus gives another when he says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits himself? He gives the idea of profit. It's the idea of, of, of what comes to, the gains and the losses. How does it, how does it all equal out in the end? Friends, don't miss this. The profit, the the coming out in the end is about gaining Christ, not gaining the things of this world. Are you seeking to gain Christ? Are you seeking to live for his name? Is he your profit? Is he your joy? Is he what you ultimately hope to receive in the end? Or do you hope to receive the latest iPhone? The latest comfort, the latest house, the latest car, are those the things that that rule your life? 
See, you got to get to the, the nuts and the bolts of our lives. What is it we're really pursuing? What really matters? Jesus says, pursue me. Find your joy in me. That's what Jesus is saying really matters. Gain what counts forever, and you'll never lose. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus, Jesus continues, he says, with a third and final blessing, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. He said, what's a blessing there, Aaron? <laughs> he's basically negative, saying anybody who's ashamed of him, he's going to be ashamed of. Think of the opposite. Anyone who, who speaks well of him, anyone who gives testimony to him, what's the, what's the ramification? That he will bless us. That he will speak well of us. Isn't that what he did with Job? When he looked to Satan and said, have you considered my servant Job? How cool that Jesus could speak that way of us. Have you considered my servant? Put your name there. How cool that, that he could say that of us, but how often we recognize, no, I'm a fearful because I see how ashamed I am of him. We recognize how ashamed we truly are, the temptation to deny. But he offers in that the contrast between the present and the future state. What now is versus what will be. He talks about when the glory comes. That's what we should be living for. Not our present comfort, not our present acceptance by whatever circles we run in. Our goal should be the glory of God if we truly believe he's returning, which forces me to ask the question, church, do we believe that? The Bible teaches it. And if I truly believe he's coming when he comes back, do I believe he's coming with glory and authority and power? If I do believe that, how should that change my life? How should it motivate my spirit? What profit do I gain? These are the things that Jesus is saying. So church, I ask you, do these blessings that far outweigh the temporal safety of this life, do these blessings mean what you're living for? Let me summarize. Are you living for Jesus or not? That's what Jesus is really asking. Because a true disciple, one who truly counts the cost, is willing to live for Jesus above everything else. And at the heart of this, this call to deny self, this, this call to carry your own cross daily, this call to follow Jesus, at the heart of this is really about, do I love Jesus or not? We sing it to our children we sing it this way, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But the question that we should be asking is, do I love Jesus? That Jesus gave all. Jesus willingly went to the cross for you, church. How do we respond? We must be willing to talk about him. And we must be willing to live for him because if we truly love him, we will. I've never met a couple that's in love that doesn't love talking about the other person. 
I've done a lot of marriage counseling. So the first things I can tell is who loves who based upon the way they talk. When I meet young couples and, and do pre-marriage counseling and we're getting ready for their wedding, they just glow and they talk and they're, and they're smiling and they can't help, help but say nice things about one another. And I just sit there and I go, wow, these two really love each other. I'm not going to be able to talk at all in this conversation, but they love each other. Because they're constantly filled with joy about each other. That's the way it should be about Jesus. We're so in love with him, we can't stop talking about him and living for him. Those who truly love one another live for one another. That's why dads get up and, and go to work and work two or three jobs to, to make sure that their kids get to experience things. But we apply that to Jesus. Do we love Jesus? Do we talk about him? Do we live for him? See, the point that Jesus is making here is being a disciple is really all about being in love, being consumed with Jesus more than anything else in all the world, being consumed with Jesus. And then Jesus says something absolutely astonishing. Look at verse 27. He says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. You know what Jesus is doing there? Jesus is saying, not all experiences are the same. We've got to stop comparing our experience and walk with Christ to somebody else's experience and walk with Christ. Look at the way Jesus talks about this. Jesus says, some standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. By saying this, he's saying some would never see death until the kingdom of God was there present. But it implies that some others would die. Everybody's experience wasn't the same. So as we wrestle with that, we get to the detail of what is the kingdom. You start to ask questions. When is the kingdom coming? Was it as his incarnation? Was it at his resurrection? Was it at his ascension? Was it at Pentecost? Maybe it's referring to all of that. But the point is clear. No two disciples experience the exact same thing. We all have our own relationship with Christ. And get this, church, we all have our unique crosses to bear. And we're going to be discouraged when we're looking at others expecting our walk to be the same as their walk. The joy is to know that he loves us so much that he's given a personal relationship with each and every one of us. We're not just given a carbon copy example of life but an intimacy of being in him and walking with him and living in him and loving him. That's the blessing. That's the good news of the gospel. So while our relationships are unique and our crosses are unique, Jesus says, let me tell you about the things that are the same. The denying of yourself the carrying of your cross daily, the responsibility to follow me. Church, don't miss this. We are not to value the natural world more than we value Jesus. We are to love Jesus above everything. So I ask you this morning, do you love Jesus more than you love the comforts 
of this world? Are you seeking the glory of Jesus above your own glory or the glory of this world? See, church, those who are called to Jesus, he calls them to follow him. Those who are called to Jesus are called to discipleship. And discipleship is not cheap grace. Discipleship is not easy believism. Discipleship is about denying yourself. Discipleship is about carrying your cross daily. Discipleship is about following Jesus wherever he goes. So the question before us is, do we desire the eternal blessings of Jesus over the desires of the temporal world we live in? Do we truly Love Christ. Do we talk about him? And are we living for him? Yes, it's true. No two relationships are carbon copies of the other. But each must experience the cost of discipleship. Each must understand the cost of putting Jesus first. So church, I don't know what that looks like for you personally. But I know it'll be hard. I know it'll be hard. And that's why we need to pray for one another. That's why we need to gather around the word together. That's why we need to encourage and sing with one another. That's why we need to come and partake of the sacraments together. The means that God has provided so that we can be strengthened in our discipleship so that our eyes will be turned from the things of this world and focused on Christ. Because that's where our hope lies. Not out there, but in Christ. May we find the joy of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from this challenging text about discipleship, We recognize, Lord, that there is a cost. We see it in our world. We see it with the athletes. We see it with the scholars. We see it with the musicians. We understand to be good at anything, it requires work. There's a cost. And yet, Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, we haven't been really trying regarding our walk with you. And so, Lord, as we come, we confess the areas that we have fallen short. Maybe we love the things of the world more than we love you. Maybe we love our comfort more than we're willing to take on hard responsibilities. God, help us to understand that we can't look at others and compare ourselves to them. We have to look to the fact that you've called us to deny ourselves. You've called us to carry our own cross daily. You have called us to follow you. So God, we pray that you would give us the strength to be faithful. Give us hearts that love you. Give us desires to pursue you and to speak about you to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.